Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Um, a uh, boss asked his uh, employee, he's like, young man, do you believe in life after death? The worker said, why, yes, sir, I do. boss said, well, okay, that's good then, because yesterday after you left early to go to your grandmother's funeral, she stopped by to see you. Last Sunday we had Easter. Great celebration. Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. What happens next? Well, what actually happens next in Jesus' story, because Easter actually isn't even the end of Jesus's story. In the same way that a Disney movie ends with like, or the fairy tales end with they live happily ever after, like we know that is not even the ending. It's just playing, it's just barely the start of everything. We were talking about this with uh, our kids the other day, and um, you know, my husband asked, he's like, well, do you know what happened next for Jesus? And I was like, uh, did he die again? No, 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 no. Like, uh, and then my youngest goes like, is he still here? <laughs> um, so Easter is not even the end of Jesus' story. Uh, it's not the last major event in his life. His return to heaven is. Uh, and his return to heaven, I think it teaches us how to be until heaven. It establishes the spiritual reality of the last 2,000 years. It's not, it's not a footnote to Jesus' story. I think it's a foothold for us into power and into purpose. So let's pray, and then we're going to read about the last major event in Jesus' earthly life. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that you speak to us in your word as you have spoken to millions of people throughout history. We open ourselves to what you would say to us this morning, to the truth of your word. Would it establish reality in our hearts? Would it establish truth and joy and grace in our hearts this morning? Would we not determine our own thoughts and opinions just based on whatever we think, but based on what you say? And thank you, Jesus, that you want to minister to us this morning. You want to do something good in our hearts today. And we say, yes, please. Please, Jesus, do something good in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, guys, I am aware that we are supposed to be starting a new series, not the uh, Formed Like Jesus series, but um, I just really think that this is important. We're just going to keep walking through the life of Jesus as we have been from Christmas through Good Friday, Easter, and one extra after Easter. So uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1. Um, and it acts as the story of the church, but he goes back a little bit to touch on uh, Jesus's last uh, act. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after, 
he suffered and died. He appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, while he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, through Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. The word of the Lord. So, they're there, they're gathered together, um, and uh, they're saying, this is amazing, we've got Jesus here, he was dead, and they're like, Jesus, when are you going to restore the kingdom of, of Israel? You know, because they're living under brutal Roman occupation, and if there is anyone who you would expect to be able to lead a successful like military launch, it's the guy who you can't seem to kill. Like, that would encourage me to go into military service, frankly. Um, they're like, look at my dude. Like, he's amazing. What are you going to do next? And he says, Me? Actually, you are going to lead a new Jesus kingdom here on earth. You, my disciples, will receive power of the Holy Spirit. You'll be my witnesses everywhere in this world. The focal point of what he's going to do next, it's not something he's going to do. It's the church. It's you and me. He's like, I'm glad you know you've seen me, believe in me, like have high hopes for me. You're what's going to be happening next. This community where we love and support each other into faith, into hope, into new life. This is the focal point of what Jesus uh, prepares next after he rises from the dead. It's really amazing. And then... He ascends into heaven, descend to go down, ascend to go up. We call this event the ascension. And there's no one else in uh, scripture who really like just goes up to heaven like this. There's very little flying in the Bible. You know, newsflash, this you know, should be obvious. Like unless you're a bird or have bird's body parts, where there's very little um, flying in the Bible. Um, everyone else who goes up to heaven does so with some sort of like physical means still. I mean, amazing, crazy, miraculous, wind, fire, a ladder. Elijah, 
gets swept up to God in a whirlwind. The angel who announced Samson's birth to his uh, parents goes up in the fire of a burnt offering. Enoch says he's taken up. We don't know any details. Um, But even for really other huge, crazy miracles, there's some sort of a physical assist, some sort of a nod to physical realm mechanics. Not Jesus. Um, Why? Because there's no one else who rules air and gravity and earth like Jesus does. He has redeemed the world. He has set the world free from the power of sin and death. He is the resurrected king. And he just rises straight up to heaven. The ascension is, it's like his coronation parade. It's his coronation event. He is risen from the dead. And then he just shows he is Lord of all physical, the whole physical realm. You know, we don't know where he goes. You know, if you zoom up into the stratosphere, it's not like you pass heaven, you know, exit left off the Milky Way or, or something. We don't know what happens after 4,000 feet. Just says they saw him go up. But Easter raises Jesus from death to life, and the ascension raises him from earth to heaven. The resurrection and the ascension are kind of one continuous movement of Jesus triumphing, Jesus winning, Jesus establishing his lordship and his kingdom. And the ascension's not, it's not an end. It kind of can seem like an end to us, but it's not when Jesus stops being on the earth. It's when Jesus starts ruling the earth in a new way. I think there are three reasons for us why uh, the ascension is important for us. Um, So number one, uh, Jesus is sent into heaven, opens the door for the Holy Spirit's descent from heaven. Jesus did not leave us alone. He had a plan. He's got it all covered up. He's, no, I go here. The Holy Spirit comes. Um, Instead of one person dwelling in the Middle East, He wants the Holy Spirit to dwell with all of us. So Jesus' ascension is super important for us to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he ascends to heaven in order to pray and intercede for us. You know, the cool thing about the Bible is that we get to know things that uh, are way above our pay grade, and we have no way of knowing, but, you know, the Bible just tells us, uh, Romans 8 says, Jesus Christ who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. He's doing something up there. He's praying for us. Like, that's kind of amazing. He doesn't go on a vacation. He keeps working for us. And then Jesus goes to heaven to rule the earth. Jesus sat down to rule, not to rest. He's completed his earthly work, redeemed humanity, you know, forgiven sins. And he sits down to to rule, uh, not to rest. It's a picture of... um, like a, a throne chair, not, not a lazy boy. Um, he's got an executive suite up there, not like a padded big throne chair. Um, Ephesians 1 says, God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above 
every rule and authority, power and dominion, that every, every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. You know, there's so much that practically we can just kind of like take in this morning. We can just kind of encourage ourselves with, strengthen ourselves with this morning, you know, the coming of the Holy Spirit when Jesus left. But, you know, as I, I, was, I really like chew on it, I just want to focus on the actual like ascension, the actual just going up to heaven, because it means that Jesus is king. It means that Jesus is king. And that is good news for my heart today. You know, it speaks to me. It helps me grow. It, it's good news. And that Jesus is king. I think it establishes me in a couple of things. First, there's a little bit of like fear of God in it, right? He's up there controlling everything in his executive suite. It gives me a little bit of, you know, extra reverence and respect, you know, if God is on his throne, if he is ruling, if he is in control, I can't roll up to God and make empty promises. I mean, I make empty promises to myself all the time. I have many, many big plans for myself that I go back on. I can't make empty promises to God or just, you know, take him for granted. You know, so often we take God for granted. He'll forgive me. He'll do this. He'll do that. God is the CEO of the universe. I better not mess around. Um, Proverbs 2.4 tells us that fear is connected to truth and knowledge of God. It's not being scared. It's just plain knowing who he is. The sentence shows us some of who God is, and it's amazing, and it helps me stay a little bit more in line. Uh, Who here is uh, afraid of electricity? Anyone afraid of electricity? Like four of us? Okay. You know, maybe, you know, we could have a little primer about what what actually it is. Um, You know, my dad, he grew up on a dairy farm in upstate New York outside of Binghamton, and uh, he liked to take us on these vacations to his sister's dairy farm at haying season because apparently haying season is the best time to work on a farm and we get up at 4 a.m. to you know help bring the cows in or whatever and um, one time I don't really think this is what my uncle needed but you know it was a keep the kids busy it's like let's trim the grass around some of these electric fences so uh, I'm like 14 my brother's like 11 or, or whatever gives us these long sighs these sickles even going swish like I mean this is not happening with my kids but whatever and um, and my brother managed to hit himself on the electric fence like four times it was hilarious. I think it was the best part of the VK. I mean, the look on his face was like, it was pure entertainment. That is as close as I want to come to electricity. Someone else touching the electric fence. Who here uses electricity? Oh, all of us. It's not that we want to avoid it or skew it. Or we have a healthy respect and reverence because we know what it is. If you have no idea what it is, you might be in trouble. And that's what fear of the Lord is. If we know who God is, 
if we know who God is, a fear of the Lord is life-giving because it means that you're actually in the presence of God. You're actually in his gaze, truly looking towards him. I think about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve did not respect God enough. They did not have enough fear of God to obey him. They thought, you know, we can mess around. He won't notice that much. Maybe he doesn't totally know what he's talking about. Then they realized, you know what? He's definitely going to notice this. Run. They didn't fear him, so they sinned, and then they were scared of him. It can be a little bit of semantics, but I think being scared of God can be connected with sin. Fear of God is knowing who he is. And fear of the Lord is helpful to us. Uh, the weather's become nicer. Uh, I've been driving around with my windows rolled down and you know, enjoying the fresh breeze, which also means that I've been parking my driveway with the windows down and uh, suffering through wet uh, seats in my car. So Tuesday, Monday was beautiful. Tuesday it rained. Uh, so this is the first time this season I have wet seats. It happens to me probably like twice a summer. You know why? I don't care enough. Now, keys, that's another story. I locked myself out of my car probably twice in a nine months, sometime in my mid-20s. I've never done it again. I am very careful about I. I double check. I, I have a little bit of the fear of God in me. Obviously, with my windows, I don't care. But a little bit of fear helps us and keeps us on, on the straight and narrow a little bit. Um, Stanley Hauerwas says, if we don't fear God, we will fear man. I think there's a lot of truth to that. If we don't reverence and respect God, we'll start compromising and accommodating for other people. You know, the disciples, they gather together in this little circle. Uh, Bye, Jesus. I think I see his sandals. Uh, you know, they would become the first church. And they became the first church, not because Peter said, well, I'll step up and, you know, everybody be here next Sunday. We're going to keep this thing going. They became the first church for Jesus, for a guy who was no longer there anymore. They were responsible to him, respected him. They were there for God. We're not doing this for ourselves or we're not doing God any favors by doing this. We, we gather together as the church for God. Not for, you know, our, our, our religion, not for, you know, somebody who tells us we should. We do this for God. And we worship God because he's worthy of it. We don't worship our experience. We don't worship our experience showing up on Sunday morning. That was, that was great. I was encouraged. We do it. Because Jesus is on the throne. And then next, I think, you know, Jesus being on the throne, well, for me, it means that, you know, I obey him. And uh, obeying God, you know, it's something, it's something I do in many ways for myself. God doesn't need me, but my life is so much better 
if I obey. So much of me really spiritually following God, being devoted to, to prayer, really making time for that. I do it for me. My life is so much better. And I do it for those who follow after me. We obey God for those who follow after us. Um, I won't give this that much time because, yep, we do it for God. Uh, not, for, not for the church, not for Rob, not for me. We obey for Jesus um, and for our own good. But then uh, the last thing I want to narrow in here a little bit. Um, if Jesus is on the throne, if he's since, since Jesus is on the throne, since he's ascended to heaven, since he rules earth in a new way, that means that I can expect good things from him. That means I can expect good things from him. You know, if you have a great leader in a company, in a country, in an organization, you do what he or she requires because you trust them. And then you expect that it's going to work. If you have a good leader, you don't go around predicting failure. You know it may, you know, take a while. It may be messy or whatever. But you don't go around predicting failure. If Jesus is really on the throne, we fear him, we obey him, and we expect good things from him. Guys, this morning, just take a minute. Are you expecting good things from Jesus? Every day. Are we expecting him to show up to move to work? To be actively involved because he's in the executive seat up there. You know, I think some of us who have been in the church for a while, you know, we, we obey him, um, you know, we, we, but we don't always expect great things from God. I think this is a heart of, you know, knowing who he is, knowing his love for us, being close to, to his heart because he's not distant or cold or hard up there. There are many CEOs who I don't necessarily expect great things from, but the good ones, the kind ones, the competent ones, I, 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 I do. You know, what do we expect from church? What do we expect from our time with God? Are we coming with eager uh, anticipa anticipation? Are our hearts soft and, and eager towards God? Jesus is working for us right now. And that changes right now. You know, um, Maybe two weeks ago, uh, I had a lot of work to do, so I was working late. I had an extra meeting in the evening or, or whatever. Um, so I packed up my stuff for the day. I've got my lunchbox and my, like, dinner. I'm going to grab a little dinner before, you know, my evening meeting. And, um, guys, I don't know what you think the rest of your family does when you have to work extra, but sometimes I picture what happens in my household when I'm not there. They probably go out to dinner and then, um, you know, come home, play some games. The kids go to bed perfectly on the night. I'm not there. Then my husband eats ice cream and does his baseball cards. And 
that's what I picture happens, you know, w w without me. So I'd worked a longer evening, came back, entered, hi guys, I have my bags, whatever. How, how was your day? You know what they did? They cleaned up like all the yard. Uh, then they cleaned the house. Then my husband cooked a healthy dinner. I immediately was like, Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. I think they did more than I did. I was like, ah, oh, thank you. But you know, sometimes we, you know, we just, we get these ideas in our heads and sometimes it's hard to trust and you know, I've got you know, a lot that I'm invested in or, or whatever. But what other people do when we're not there matters and changes stuff. Jesus is not here. Do we really know what he's doing? Because it can be easy for us to feel like, oh, we're doing all of this, and you know, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure what's going on up there. Jesus is interceding for you. Are you cooperating with him? God is working for our world right now. He's in control. He is active and involved and deeply invested in my life, in your life, in our world. Um, two or three years ago, my cousin got married. Beautiful wedding. Um, the you know, ceremony is just very, really sweet. Uh, take pictures after that and then go to the uh, reception site. And uh, we get to the reception site and my uncle and aunt aren't there yet. And uh, we're kind of standing around, we're waiting to do the whole entrance thing. And, you know, I thought, I thought they left before we did. And where are they? We were kind of waiting for them to start. It's, you know, the mother of the bride, the father of the bride. Where are they? You know, it's in Albany. It's their hometown. I know they didn't get lost. Uh, they come in and people are like, where were you? What were you doing? What took you so long? They had heard that my nephew, their great nephew, um, was off of gluten because of his eczema and couldn't eat any of the wedding cake because he was gluten-free. So they had stopped at a bakery to get him a gluten-free cupcake on like one of the busiest days of the, their life. I was shocked. Like they're not particularly health food people. We're not even like actually like that, that close. They had stopped to get him his own little wedding cake. I was shocked. But friends, if we knew what Jesus was doing for us right now, if we really knew what Jesus was doing for us right now, we wouldn't say, where were you? What were you doing? What was taking you so long? We would say, thank you. As we end, uh, worship team, you guys can come on up. I just want to speak that truth over myself. God has not left me while he sits up in heaven. Speak that truth over yourself. Jesus is praying for you. He is working for you. And this morning, we want to cooperate with him. Cooperate with him in respect and reverence in obedience and an expectation, a glad heart that says, I'm not entirely sure what you're doing, what's taking so long, whatever, but I know it's for my good and you love me. 
when you show up, we're not going to be like, what took you? What were you doing? We're going to say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's stand together and pray. Jesus, we thank you that you knew what was best 2,000 years ago. And as your disciples clamored around you and said, hey, do this, do that, you ascended into heaven. That you have sent the Holy Spirit to work and to minister, to lead and to guide us. Right now, we open our hearts to you, Holy Spirit. God's greatest gift to us, sending the Holy Spirit. We cherish and value you, Holy Spirit, every word, every nudge, every second. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are a good and gracious king up there. That you are a competent and compassionate CEO. That we have everything to gain from you, nothing to lose. Even as we sacrifice and we turn towards you and we uh, devote ourselves to you, we have everything to gain in you, Jesus. Thank you that we can be, would you assure our hearts actually this morning, give us a deep, deep confidence in your kingship over our world and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.